The Macrofab Engineering Podcast Design Contest sponsored by Mauser Electronics is currently going on. The topic is useless machines. We have cash prizes up to $1,000 for the winners. The deadline is August 10th and it's closing fast. More information can be found on macrofab.com slash blog. Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. Uh, we're your guests, Jerry Hayes and Shruti Sora. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 182. Gerard Hayes has nearly three decades of experience in government and commercial electromagnetic research and design. Prior to establishing the Wireless Research Center in 2010, Dr. Hayes worked for Sony Ericsson Mobile Communications and Lockheed Martin. The scope of his experience encompasses electromagnetic theory, bioelectromagnetics, antenna design, RF circuit analysis, and material engineering. Gerard also has participated in the development of international standards for OTA, HAC, and SAR e evaluation, which includes IEEE, IEC, CTIA, and C63 standards. That's a hell of a lot of standards. That's a lot of stuff. So uh, Shruti Sora is a senior staff engineering consultant at the Wireless Research Center. Shruti has over 15 years of experience in RF and antenna engineering in the commercial defense and medical device markets and has developed products from early concept to production. Previously, she has held technical positions at RFMD, HTC, Sony Ericsson, and Harris. So I'd like to thank you, Jared and Shruti, for coming onto the podcast. Thanks for having oh, yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We've been uh, we've been looking forward to this because there's a, a good handful of topics that applies to a lot of us electrical engineers that are kind of shrouded in mystery, and hopefully you guys can kind of uh, distill that mystery for us. Uh, sure thing. We're excited to be here. So before we get into that stuff, um, can you explain what the Wireless Research Center is? Sure. The, the Wireless Research Center, we're, we're a very unique organization. Founded in 2010 as a, a nonprofit 501c3 organ research organization, um, which keeps us neutral. Our mission is twofold. One is to advance communication technologies and promote economic development. What we've done is we've created a very safe space that, that provides a resource, a, a community resource, if you will, to people trying to advance wireless, wireless connectivity as well as uh, startup companies promoting economic development and fostering ideas. So we, we bridge everything from the Internet of Things and on-body, in-body types of connectivity all the way up through air to ground and air to space. Um, we provide access to uh, engineering resources, uh, the technical skills, as well as specialized testing capabilities, and then um, business development accelerator programs for startup companies uh, wishing to go to market. So uh, it's it's interesting, this, your wireless research center is, uh, I, I kind of want to look at the 501c3 aspect of it. Uh, and I'm sure you get a lot of questions about that. A nonprofit testing facility, how does that work? It's it's testing is one portion of our, our capabilities. So it's, it's, it's a nonprofit research and development organization. So the, the nonprofit status allows us to, to be, we're not 
owned by a particular business. So we're, we're a community resource. Uh, we're governed by a board of directors and we make our, our capabilities, our testing facilities, as well as our engineering resources available to all. So anybody from academia to industry, startups, small businesses, large businesses, uh, government as well, we, we provide that technical resource, that technical feedback. Um, we, do, we do a lot of studies on next generation wireless technologies, as well as innovative products incorporating those technologies. So you get a lot of uh, um, academic work coming through? We, we, we get a fair amount. Um, we, we partner with uh, several universities. Um, we, we allow the, uh, the researchers to use our, our test capabilities. We've got some very unique uh, testing facilities. Uh, one of them is, is an anechoic, which means no echo shielded chamber. It's about uh, five meters uh, cubed, which uh, allows us to do radiated performance of antennas or, or devices from 400 megahertz up to 18 gigahertz. So a very broad range of, of applications. And we make that available to uh, academic researchers uh, on a half hourly basis, all the way up through uh, startup companies as well. And we're accredited for those testing. So the, the accreditation means that our test reports are accepted either from an antenna performance characterization or from a an over-the-air OTA performance characterization for people like the uh, Sailor Telecommunications Industry Association, like CTIA or Verizon and others. Because um, I remember that being a big thing a couple of years ago where the uh, FCC was changing kind of the rules for accreditations for testing facilities. So, so we, uh, we've, we've been accredited through A2LA, which is the American Association for Laboratory Accreditation. And that's, that's under the guidance. There's uh, an ISO standard 17025. And, and over the years, we've been 17025 accredited since our first inception of accreditation at the center. And we've maintained that. And over the years, industry, FCC, and other regulatory agencies have been pointing more and more towards that 17025 standard. What's, what's unique about, about that standard is that it combines a technical measurement procedure with a quality management system. So then it's uh, not only are you doing the test according to the way you're doing it, are you doing the test correctly with the right measurement uncertainty, repeatability? And, and there's been a lot of focus to that to ensure Kind of a, a repeatability globally, and that's an international standard. D does that include methods on how to document everything? It does. It does. That's that's what's called the quality system. So for an accredited test, um, it, it handles everything from your initial customer interaction all the way up through preparation for the test, taking the data, processing the data, and then issuing a report. And all of that is is standardized and harmonized. It's interesting that goes all the way towards the to the customer as well. As in your onboarding process is a a uh, standard. Yes, it is. It is. And one way to think about it is you want to make it fair, unbiased as well. And and so it ensures that you know there's there's the integrity of the personnel, the integrity of the device. Um, and it's 
it's so that the customer can can walk away with an assurance that they there's the the data is is valid to the best of the test testing so steven's iot toilet could be fairly tested <laughs> <laughs> that's correct yeah, that's right yeah i i need i need uh, a to a a to la uh, on that so um yeah I we're sort of gotten off on the weeds on this, but uh, do you get audited for that? We do. We do. We, we have to maintain the accreditation and there are a series of internal audits every year and external audits every other year. And, and, and actually the, the, the accreditation covers really it's particularly to a scope. So it covers our um, over the air testing as well as our antenna pattern, te- pattern testing. What it doesn't cover is that we do a lot of FCC pre-certification work, and and that is not a certified test. Our, we don't have the the right equipment to do that, but we do have the means to do a pre-test. Um, and our our because we're we're neutral, our our forte here is that we provide a, a space where if you're if you wanted to do a pre-test before you go to the compliance, you can run it here. And if there are issues, we can introduce you to engineering resources that are very familiar with the problems and can provide very quick solutions. Or if you're you're at an accredited lab and you know that you're failing a particular issue, you could come here and again, we can, pro- we can repeat the measurement, provide the resources to help you get it to, to improve and to, to meet the requirements. Our whole goal is to help see the customers succeed and, and see their product go to market. So we try to be able to provide as many resources as possible to be able to help them get to the point of passing certification as fast as possible. And as you can imagine, the uh, application of radios to IoT devices, it's just exponential, right? So and not everybody has an antenna RF engineering staff. Uh, so that's where we're that shared resource to help you get through that. And can we, um, cause I have a lot of engineers that always ask me about FCC pre-certification. What is involved in that? Yeah. So FCC pre-certification, the main thing with that is running a test. Like Jerry said, it's not certified, but it's good for development testing. And what that does is give you a warm fuzzy on um, whether you're going to, past certification? Are you going to be marginal or are you failing? Um, Some things that are checked are um, RSE, radiated spurious emissions. All And what that's trying to check is making sure that your device is playing well with others, that it's not transmitting outside its frequency band beyond the limits that the FCC or regulatory bodies indicate. Um, So those are things that, you know, you have to have your full system. We can turn it on, run it through that test. Um, And if you're not using a pre-certified module, there are some tests that the radio um, would you would check for to make sure that it's staying within the boundaries of the power limits and and the waveform shapes and such. Um, And those are all good things to check prior to official certification, because if you fail official certification, you need to start all of that again um, after you get to the point of debugging and optimizing. So we try to help people through that process. So how, how do people get uh, started with that, at least with you? Do they just like call you up or they just show up at your doorstep with a box? <laughs> or are they like, what, what, what expectations does someone have? 
Yeah, we usually prefer a call or an email just to schedule a time. <laughs> but but usually they'll they'll um, come to us. We'll work out an NDA. Um, we we keep all all company information confidential, and then we'll we'll talk to them about their goals for the product, how it's being used, and then figure out the best way of. Um, pre-check testing, whether it's on the regulatory side or even the OTA side, um, and even help out with design reviews if they are early in their project to get as many design hooks in place early on so it can save them time and money later. So we usually come up with a set of tasks that we can help them with and just work through them, through through those with them um, as the project progresses. We usually prefer if you get involved, if if we get involved um, when it's just an idea, even prior to your first prototype, because there are a lot of things that you can do even before building that first set of hardware um, to be able to kind of de um, determine the feasibility um, and what areas need to be changed even prior to um, building that first set of hardware. And once that, that first prototype is available, then we can um, run pre-checks, optimize, and, and go through the different steps. That's great. So, so um, I guess uh, I don't know if "customer" is the right word, but your customers can can reach out to you and get design uh, resources before even doing the pre-certifications, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, our expertise, especially, um, is in antennas and RF. But what we can do is look at the layouts before they're actually built. Um, there are a lot of off-the-shelf antennas out there, and we can help people navigate and figure out which one's the best for their application. Um, you know, whether it's a wearable device or something mounted on top of a vehicle or you know inside a building, um, and help walk through that. And one is we can simulate; the other is we can actually build what we call a mock-up, which is a hand-built prototype without, you know, PCB boards um, and actually throw it in our chamber and get, you know, quantifiable results um, even before the software is even ready. That's really cool. So, um, so when it comes down to it, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious about the simulation. When you say simulation, are, are you simulating some kind of a 3D model or are you actually simulating the actual board itself? Um, it's, it's both actually. We would get the mechanical model or we can draw, you know, um, aspects of it ourselves and we would actually look at it from a 3D perspective of, you know, what components are close by, you know, should the battery be one, two or five millimeters away from the antenna and run those parametric sweeps. And those are really important to think about at the beginning stage because once your mechanics or, or the cosmetics are, are fixed, it's hard to move things around. So simulations really come into play where you can kind of adjust and move and shuffle things um, and try to get the best system solution from, from the antenna and radio perspective, but also from the mechanics and the hardware and, and the, all the other players um, involved in the whole system. Yeah, the, the tools are, are strong enough that we can import a full mechanical CAD model as well um, and then import that in. And that, that's one of the, the, the leaps that the technology has taken in the 90s and early 2000s is being able to simulate things as complicated as a, a cellular handset with all of the different components inside of it as well. And it allows you to visualize things that we can't actually see with our eyes, like the way the surface currents go flow and um, even just the antenna pattern prior to it being built. And all of those things impact the radiated and antenna performance. Yeah, so 
for an IoT product, what you really want to make sure is that you're able to, you know, for that device or product to be able to transmit that data. So to maintain a good antenna and radio quality and hold a connection is really important. So that that's what we're trying to guarantee. So uh, just out of curiosity, how often do you get products where the antenna isn't designed by the uh, by the engineers? How often do you get products where it's like some module that they just plopped out on their board somewhere and said, let's give this a try? Yeah, we, we get that a, a fair amount where they'll, they'll think they'll buy it like right off the shelf um, and put it down on a layout that's kind of the recommended layout that's in the catalog. Uh, the the challenge is that, that things around it, like the PCB size as well as anything metal, has an impact. Um, but as Shruti mentioned, we're, we're very good at, at helping to re-optimize and maybe find the right antenna solution for that. Uh, fewer and fewer people are, a lot of people are, have an appreciation for the antenna. Um, it's, it's no longer thought of kind of just a drop-in replacement um, for many applications. And, and the key part, there are a lot of um, off-the-shelf antenna options out there, but we can help people decide, you know, is it good to just go with an off-the-shelf or is a custom, you know, one needed? But if an off-the-shelf one, you know, you might have antenna A, and it may not be the best for all applications. You know, antenna B might be the best for, you know, for a vehicle application, and you may not use the same thing for, like, a wrist device. So we kind of look at the whole structure and the whole system um, and also understand what the use case scenario is and help come up with the best solution for for that product. And with the chambers, we can actually try it out and actually quantify um, and, and actually make measurements to be able to say, you know, this is the best for, for your application. Because yeah, I want to guess that a wrist device only has you know it can, the worst case scenario is it has to transmit through someone's wrist whereas in a car it ha might have to travel through the entire metal structure of the body yes and there's 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 challenges for both like the on the on the as you mentioned with the body effects if the antenna is pointed towards the body you know it, it can radiate into the body which is lossy which will affect its radiated performance and, and similarly with a vehicle, inside of a vehicle, um, there, there are some issues um, with, with performance going through the glass and on the outside. Um, and then depending on the frequency, you'll have problems or challenges with where to mount the antenna to be more optimal. Um, yeah, and with something that's worn on the wrist, your hand's always moving around. Mm -hmm. So the type of metric that you use to be able to, to specify what antenna is best is going to be different from something that's mounted on a vehicle that's always you know, mm -hmm. mounted in the same orientation. So we kind of help, help them figure out what's the best metric to look out for their application as well. So, so you're not going to put a human in the chamber with a, with a watch on and have him wiggle it around while you beam them, right? So, so actually, we, we our, our chamber, it's it's a uh, it's a very large, it's an MVG SG64 um, MVG is the microwave vision group. Uh, we can handle anything six feet and smaller, and we do have the ability to put a, a human in the middle and sit on a chair. So that imagine if you are a first responder, a warfighter, or a medical device where you have a lot of personal body electronics we can put you in the chamber and we can measure that radiated performance. Um, it's very cool. Uh, we also 
have a have an agreement or an arrangement with the uh, ETIS, which is ETIS Foundation, which is a nonprofit uh, research group in Zurich, Switzerland, that build human body model, models, um, both uh, numerical simulation as well as phantoms. And so together with them, we have one of their full body phantoms that we can put a wrist watch on or an external pacemaker and put them in the chamber to see the radiated performance. Uh, so it is, it is pretty, <laughs> you're not too far off there. Um, <laughs> I'm imagining what this thing looks like. And I'm like, you know, in Mythbusters where they used to make like their gelatin people. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining, but it's like a horror show. <laughs> you can see the bones and stuff underneath it. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, a lot of a lot of electronic data sheets have um, the human body model when it comes to ESD uh, written on there. So somebody has to make that, right? Somebody. Yes, yes. Somebody there is there is a lot of science behind them, actually. So it's a over different frequencies, the body has a different different reaction, and and those guys uh, in Switzerland take all of that into consideration. For sure. So, so I think uh, Parker was kind of getting on this earlier, and we we went a little bit down a path, but but it's, okay. So let's go. Let's look back at the FCC pre-certification and and say, okay, let's say I'm a guy who I've got a I've got a widget or a gizmo now, and I I want to get it pre-certified. Uh, what would I need to bring? What would I need to expect on the day that I show up? Sure. So for pre-certification on the the regulatory FCC side, we would need hardware that's actually functional that, you know, the software and the firmware, um, and, and you've got the whole mechanical structure. So we're looking for the whole system um, to be functional, and we need the ability to be able to have it transmit at different channels and frequencies at max power. Um, and so what we'll do is before, you know, you come out, we'll go through a checklist of making sure that you have all the pieces. And then after that, you know, what we'll ask is, I guess before that, we'll also ask what frequencies you know, you're planning to operate in if it's cellular or Bluetooth or, or LoRa or, you know, RFID, whatever it might be, um, and then make sure that we plan, we set up the test plan accordingly. Um, and so we'll probably have a lot of initial questions just to make sure we understand your device and what's inside it. Um, you know, is it battery powered or is it plugged into the wall or, or whatever it might be, and then go from there. Um, and then when you come in for testing, our, you know, our, it should be as smooth as possible. If, if all the software works as expected, then you can just go, you know, one test after another and get a lot of data, even in the span of half a day to a full day. Great. And then so so with, with devices that are plugged into the wall, how do you handle those? So we have um, outlets that are, you know, clean um, power sources. And so we would plug that in into that source. And so we're really purely looking at the device um, and and not you know external um, noise sources that can get in. So what if my device is not intended to radiate anything? Uh, what if I'm just trying to check noise levels? Will you do that also? Yeah, we can do something called idle mode testing. So basically, you turn the radios off, and that's another thing that we do check and making sure that you know all the other pieces of the entire system are still following the FCC regulatory um, requirements so um, when you have you do two types of tests with the radio off just looking at it like um, as it is and then turn the radio on and then seeing how you know are there any things that are mixing together or interfering so the the key part is to look at the whole system um, you know the plastics the the wires the the way it's hooked up everything um, 
but but yeah, it's important to look at both. And so I've got a question for let's say it's people that before they even get to you or they can't get like let's say they live in like Hawaii. <laughs> so getting to y'all in in North Carolina would be a little hard. What what recommendations would you have for an, a startup starting out over there? Actually, we we've got customers all over the globe and we we start off with if they're if they're that far away, we'll start off with a teleconference and then do a video conference. Um, we can even do the design review remotely. And and we've had customers, especially on the West Coast, ship their prototypes overnight and then we'll have them tested when and with the results. That's that's the beauty of the center is we're able to analyze the results as well and to kind of give them feedback almost in real time. Yeah, so you don't actually have to be physically here. You can you right. can mail your device to us and then we can test it and then you know, talk over and go over the results together, um, you know, over the phone. And many of those we've already have done simulations for them. So we, we're familiar with the device, at least conceptually and on a model size. Gotcha. So um, in my experience with doing things like CE testing, I always showed up with a backpack full of, you know, soldering irons, ferrite beads, extra resistors, capacitors, things that I can throw the device in the chamber test it. If I need to change something, I change it, do it again. Do you allow for that? We do. We do. And we, we have uh, either you can come in with your own uh, kit uh, or we have kits here in the lab as well. Um, and, and we also have the engineering resources. There are a couple of for-profit engineering firms in our commercialization center that we, if, if it got too complicated, we would hand you off to those guys as well. And they've got the soldering irons workstations and the, and the engineering personnel to really take you through the finish line there. Yeah, one thing that's really different and unique about the center is we have all sorts of equipment that we make available for people to use. So, um, you know, you don't have to have your own soldering you know, machine or RF test equipment or whatever. You can, you know, rent out ours. Um, so then, you know, people don't have to spend millions of dollars on in a chamber. They can just, you know, use it for several hours here and, and have access to the same type of, um, you know, future, you know, technologies and such. So do you get a, uh, like if, if you were to come do testing, do you get a tech that kind of works with you for the day? So, so we have, yeah, we have the technical staff, the engineering and the technicians. So our, our hourly rates that we charge include the technician services. The, actually, and to clarify, those technicians are there to operate the chamber and to take the measurements. We do also have technician and engineering resources if you need them in addition to doing like the design modifications on the board. Swapping ferret beads, capacitors around, stuff like that. Yep. Yep, and we have sample kits of all of those. So um, if the right one's not in your bag, you know, we will, we'll have, you know, a whole set of different ones to choose from to, to make sure that we can optimize it to the best. One of the things I, I really found helpful was um, doing a wide frequency sweep on my, my products, finding where everything was, was awful. And then just zeroing in on that because um, it's been my experience that the, the long frequency test took forever to do. So we would show up in the morning, do a baseline test, find our bad areas, and then zero in and focus on those and just try to fix those and then go back and do a long test. And that always seemed to work really well for me. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good approach. Um, and, and one thing that we would recommend is even prior to the test, um, you know, through a design review, we could actually look through the, the schematic and the layout to be able to determine any potential sources for, for those certain frequencies. And then if we can get in at the early concept, actually put in design hooks and placeholders for ferrite beads or filters or things like that. So then when you come in, we're like, okay, will we just populate or, or no populate certain components and, and all the hooks are there. But yeah, it's definitely good to, to start off with a good overall sweep just so you can figure out, you know, where those, um, you know, the, the frequency peaks are and then start figuring out, you know, what could those be caused by. So I guess, could we get a little more technical on the engineering side for the designs sure. and like the capacitors and ferret beads? So like, where would an engineer be placing, I mean, like you can put ferret beads and, and capacitor, like let's say 0603 packages all over the board, but without strategically putting them in the right spot and the right signals, they won't do anything, right? So, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of where uh, the, the uh, if we do a design review ahead of time, but we'll, we'll give you recommendations of where to place like the matching networks. You know, you could think of like a pie network or um, mm -hmm. at the feed point of an antenna um, or, or if you wanted to match, if you got more complex antenna designs where you have maybe parasitic components, you can put uh, inductors and capacitors to kind of match that impedance as well. Um, simulations will help with that. The, the ferrite beads, um, from an RF standpoint, the, the ferrite beads, you, you want to be, you, you don't really want to put them in, in your feed line, you know, because they, they tend to lose, be lossy, right? But, but in terms of mitigation of spurious, um, that's where it kind of becomes kind of an art of uh, people that have done it before kind of have an idea of where is a good place to connect the ferrite bead or to, or to connect the ground. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we look at are all the layers of the layout because it could be, you know, something on the opposite side of the board that's, you know, mixing together and then getting back in, in into the RF trace and then it, it turns into a frequency that you don't want. So um, we're not putting ferrites everywhere, but we're putting them in strategic locations by looking at, you know, the overall system, you know, and um, proximity to different components, different subsystems like power supplies batteries, things of that sort, um, as well as like the, the radio module itself and making sure that um, at the early stage, each layer is what it should be expected to be. Um, and if it's not, when we're testing it, we can make modifications even with just um, soldering components or even making exacto knife mm -hmm. <laughs> modifications <laughs> um, or, or, you know, even making um, having a second prototype if, if it's a, a deeper dive. So yeah, I got a question on. Let's say you're doing the full-on FCC compliance test, and you do make a modification to your board. Is do you just have to roll that into your next revision that goes into production, or do you have to come back with a fixed board that was made basically and get that retested? It really depends. the 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 FCC. So what the good thing is, we're doing an FCC compliant testing. Okay. Um, but, it, but for the actual testing, your device needs to be indicative indicative of what you would expect in production, right? So gotcha. if you made a modification and you have a reasonable expectation that that's what it would be in production, um, 
Yeah, and another thing that, I mean, what we recommend is as you get um, to different prototype revisions and you get closer to the final version, you know, we start testing the more samples and things like that too, starting to look at, you know, not just one, but, you know, let's say five or 10 in, in kind of a subset. So then when you're ready for official certification, um, then you know, you know what the whole product um, as a whole, how it would respond. Um, so one thing that we also do is work with the customers to make sure that, you know, we're, we're testing in our chambers, but also um, adding tests potentially to their manufacturing line to make sure that your device is you know, consistent over a large sample. Yeah, I, I'm gonna guess that, that helps uh, solve like uh, tolerance stackups yep. for components and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so what's the uh, what's the deliverable that you provide to people at the end of testing? Do they just get a chart that says? yay or nay or do you actually get plots of of how everything goes the sheet of paper that just says okay yeah we we usually provide a, a test report um and so whether it's you know if it's de for development testing um for accredited testing on the ota side it, it's it's more formal yeah there's a specific yeah. certified test report for the certified yeah. testing but yeah, usually for, for pre-check, whether it's on the um, FCC side or even the OTA side, usually there'll be plots, there'll be numbers or tables. And then, you know, more most of the time we'll try to go over those results to make sure that, you know, they understand and, and, and they're interpreting it in the right way. Got it. Got it. And so, so it's pretty easy to uh, interpret from that if you pass or fail, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Parker, you want to you wanna talk about USB shielding? Yeah, so this is a question we brought up a couple different times on the podcast. And the USB, uh, what, what are the, what's the center USB group? I can't remember what the actual conglomerate of people who run that standard is. Um, they have, they don't really have a recommendation of how you connect the shield to the ground of your PCB. It just it basically just says do the best practice that works the best. <laughs> it's basically what it boils down to. Um, how do y'all if y'all have a recommendation for engineers how to connect the shield to ground from an external source like a USB cable? Yeah, so so our, our recommendation is uh, is typically to have as much ground around there as you can, much ground plane, grounded area with a uh, vias connecting all of the ground planes. The thing that you want to avoid is having areas that may have a different electrical potential. Um, and, and some people not familiar with RF might make that mistake and, and think, oh, I have just a trace underneath my USB and that would be sufficient for creating a ground. Um, the reality is if you follow that path length back to like another larger area, uh, at RF, things have wavelengths. So what's ground in one place may not necessarily be ground somewhere else. Um, those are things that we, when, when you simulate it, you can actually see very well where the current hot spots are. Um, then you can see where things break down. Um, fortunately, there are, there are most RF engineers. There, there is some learned um, good engineering practices that that people make uh, to have a decent ground. Uh, if you, 
again, if it's floating, that's when, especially when you get like high speed data through a USB, um, there, there's potential for currents to flow if the grounds aren't well connected. Yeah, and it, it really just depends on the specific application. If you have a lot of real estate, there's a little bit more that you can do. But if you have a really small amount of space, you know, just take, you know, paying attention to some particular areas, like Jerry mentioned, the vias or the just the the dimensions of the ground plane um, can, you know, do a lot. Okay, so that brings up that brings up a question we've talked about a whole bunch on this podcast, and that's that's grounding. And I'd love to talk about real quick grounding in relation to passing these kinds of tests. And and so you know, just a general favorite that seems to run around here is what we call plane and plunge, where you have at somewhere on your board you have an unbroken ground plane, and anything that's on the opposite side of the board uh, travels to that ground plane through a via that's close to whatever pin. And that's really, it's really simple to accomplish, but are there a lot of merits to that? Or do you, would you modify that? What, what are your suggestions on that? Um, I think, I mean, as far as, you know, have, we always recommend as far as grounding, at least we look at it more from the RF and antenna perspective. So kind of like Jerry said, we're looking at it in terms of wavelengths, parasitics, you know, each, each trace has an inductance and a capacitance. So um, we always recommend, you know, multiple grounds, depending on the wavelength of operation, then, you know, the, the intensity of, of grounding will change. Um, but it really, it depends on, you know, the location and kind of the antenna. So it, it's not kind of a one size fits all type of answer. It, it really depends on, on, on the board and, you know, putting a ground and let's say it could be a potentially a noisy ground if it's, you know, hooked up to a power supply or something, grounding in that spot may not, you know, be the best. So it's really looking at um, how, how does the power plane and the grounds and the RF all play together along with the, the, the baseband hardware as well? Um, so I guess there's there's no one right answer. It, it's just really it, it, it tends to with design right. guidelines and, and best practice um, and, and that specific ap application. And, and that's where a design review really pays off, because what, a, you know, what somebody may see is just an area without enough vias an rf engineer might say that that's a perfect capacitor that you're building into the system type of deal right um how, how about the uh the argument that i've heard a bunch of times about uh splitting your analog and your digital grounds um do you recommend that more often than not or do you recommend against that yeah i mean it, it it's good to to keep certain aspects separate um but it's also, you know, if you if you split it up, you don't want to just make it like the RF ground is just half the board. You still have to tie them at, at some point. Yeah, it, the answer there, it starts to depend, right? And it, and it depends on your interconnects between the analog and digital. Um, and more and more that, that it's becoming more difficult to separate those sides as well, especially if you have a direct converter, you know, from, you know, analog down to DC. Um, and then, then that's when it's really important to pay attention to your grounding. Um, so, so Parker, you uh, you recently had some uh, interesting ground plane uh, stuff that you were working on, right? Yeah. So I was working on a pinball controller, and I mean, this is a system that you've got five volts, twelve volts, three point three volts, and then a fifty volt, you know, high current, high impulse from solenoids, 
you know, firing off. Um, so I usually on that one, I, I kept all the 50 volt stuff separate, separated completely. And they only connect through a little tiny, uh, jumper, uh, across the ground planes just to make sure, you know, the ground potentials are, are, are um, the same, but it, that's, that's actually like, you think about it, it's actually two separate digital planes there because the MOSFETs are in full saturation, you know, in theory all the time. Right. <laughs> and if you're, you're switching high currents, right. So that's, that's going to create uh, very large impulses. And if they hit any nonlinearity, they're going to generate harmonics as well. Exactly. I guarantee they're hitting a bunch of nonlinear. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and then like the, uh, even on the five volts, like the five volt line, we're pulling seven amps on that guy. And that gets put down to 3.3 volts. And so the 3.3, volt, three, which is running all the digital logic, that's only pulling like 100 milliamps. And the rest of that is running lights, which of course you can flash them on and off. So you got, you can have up like six amps going off and on, you know, at, you know, 200 Hertz or plus. And so I made sure basically on those, Steven, I made sure those ground returns are separated out. So like the 3.3 volt line returns a different way than that high current five volt line does. Just try to keep it away and separate it out. So it doesn't all go down to one ginormous plane. All the 3.3 volt stuff does, but the high current five volt stuff, I routed its own return path. Yeah, see, so you, you paid attention to the current flow, right? Yeah. And that's that's what we do at the RF side as well. Um, yeah, I think I think that's an, an excellent example of where uh, the one plane doesn't fit at all, uh, kind of situation. If you if you're all playing in the in in the same um, uh, general realm of speeds and currents, then maybe it does, right? Right, right. That's right. That would be an example where you would want to keep it separate. Yeah. Um, because one plane is noisier than the other as well, right? Exactly. Uh, so, out of curiosity, I mean, we, we've <laughs> we've talked a lot about FCC pretesting, and and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that um, on our side, uh, we're really interested in that, and we get a lot of questions about that from our listeners. But uh, what other kind of testing do you uh, offer? So we do um, antenna testing, like we talked about the OTA testing. So that looks at um, how well a device transmits and receives when it's in a full system with software and everything. But even prior to that, we can do what we call um, antenna passive measurements. So we can see what the antenna pattern is in that mechanical structure, um, even prior to working hardware. Um, so we can either you know, hand build a prototype um, or you know, utilize a, a first revision. But that says the antenna pattern is pointing in this direction or, you know, it's pointing in all directions um, and we can use, you know, the body phantoms and such. Um, we can also do field testing. We actually have portable towers um, available for rent as well. Um, so people can go out in, into the field and actually, um, you know, look at how, you know, how much loss is, you know, through trees or, you know, going to talk to something, um, you know, far away or, or tower to, to vehicle or whatever. Um, we do, um, you know, all, all of the, the LTE, um, CAT M1, narrowband, IoT types of protocols. And then if it's outside that, what we do, if it's like a Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or LoRa um, or an ISM band, what we do is 
have the device transmit a constant CW tone. And then in its full mechanical structure, we can actually measure what the antenna pattern is for that. So where that comes in is, is one thing that we recommend thinking about are there three types of tests. There's the regulatory side, which we talked about the FCC compliance. There's the over the air OTA side, which, you know, if you're trying to get on a carrier network, you know, there, there'll be certain specs to that. And then the last one is what we call use case testing. So making sure that your customer is happy as well. Um, and so with that is making sure that the device is tested in a, in a, in a use case applicable environment, like, um, like, like the pinball thing that you were talking about, making sure that, you know, it's tested in, in an environment that looks close to what, how it would be installed and making sure that the performance is, you know, to the best of our ability there. Cause, you know, you could pass all the regulatory stuff, but if your customer hooks it up and they're unhappy, um, you, you want to make sure that, you know, they don't return it as well. So, um, and then. Yep. And then we do a, all, any other kind of customized test for the application. So it, we're, we're pretty flexible and adaptable for that. Yeah, we have multiple chambers um, at, at the facility. So, yeah, we, we set up custom tests or, or use, use the standard as well. I, I, I kind of see uh, Envision going to the local bar that has a pinball machine and bringing in all these test antenna equipment just to <laughs> make sure that that pinball machine works. <laughs> so, Stephen, you got any other questions? You know, uh, I do. There's there's one other quick thing that uh, I, I I believe could be useful, and I don't know exactly how um, how this all works out. But if somebody was wanting to use your service for say half a day or a full day, uh, is there a way that they could estimate the cost um, in terms of you know trying to do FCC testing? Sure. the The easiest way is to is to go to our website. Um, that's a www.wirelesscenter-nc.org. And, uh, and there we have a request for test form. Um, what we find are a lot of people will either underestimate the length of time or severely overestimate the length of time. And so what we do there is we get an inquiry and then we'll, we'll engage the discussion with what's the, what is the device? How many frequencies? Uh, cause some, some of the tests we can do antenna pattern measurements we can do multiple frequencies in less than two minutes uh, for full 360 um, spherical coverage you know others take a little longer like up to 40 minutes uh, per test so so it kind of depends um, and then we have hourly rates for our engineers and for our test facilities Great. Yeah. Cause uh, just earlier this week in our Slack channel, we actually uh, had a couple of questions where people are like, I've got a product and I want to get it certified. How much is this going to cost me? And we're sitting here like, well, you know, get ready. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but you know, it's kind of hard to tell you an exact number. So it's, it's nice to be able to have some kind of a resource that at least gives you an idea. Right. Right. Yeah. And our recommendation is always pre-check and start <laughs> early because um, it might You'll you'll spend a small number of dollar signs up front, but that will save you money overall. Because if you go to testing and you end up failing, then then you have to you've already got your product developed, um, and then you have to make some major changes to either the tooling or PCB or whatever it might be. So we always recommend um, just pre-check and and get a you know start start asking those questions early on, and um, if 
if we can't do that that specific test, we can point you in the direction of people who can. Well, excellent. Uh, what is a good way for our listeners to get in contact with you? Sure. Um, like Jerry said, if you go to our website um, and then there's an info at wirelesscenternc.org or there's a um, contact us form. So send us a note um, and then and then we'll we'll reach out to you and then usually just start off with a, either a phone call or a tour. And if you're ever in the North Carolina area, yeah. um, shoot us a message and we'd love to you know have people come and visit and, and you can actually see the um, the chambers and stuff up front in person because they are pretty cool. And they're, they're also acoustically quiet. So you get to really see how quiet <laughs> the chambers can be. So. Yeah, so I was about to ask that because you said you put human beings into these things. Yes. Has anyone gone insane from just like the lack of noise? <laughs> so, so we haven't had any certified insanity cases. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys aren't certified to test for that yet. That's correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I've got another question if y'all can say, because I know you like sign NDAs and stuff with people, but like what is some of the craziest things that ever come through your door to be tested? Yeah, you are right. Most of most of the craziest things we've seen are, are very much under our NDA. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so you can imagine, you know, everything like especially body worn types of applications um, up to small aircraft parts as well. Um we, we cover a lot of different yeah. frequencies, yeah. Um, all the way from super tiny all the way to, to super large. So we, we um, yeah. and, and our expertise, each, each of the, the folks on the engineering staff have different specialties. So we, we can cover a lot. But, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. everything's under our and, top yeah. NDA. <laughs> it's, it's never a dull moment, though. Because, <laughs> Stephen, was it you who had – went to one of the testing centers and there was a bucket of like cow analog. Is that you? Or is that church cow analog? Wait, what? Yeah. I can't remember. His phone was testing a, a device that a cow would swallow. Uh, and so they had to simulate the environment that it would be in, which yeah. was a bucket full of, Oh, I get it. Cow analog. I cow see. analog. Yeah, yeah, what I would call gizzards it. in a bucket, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we, that was not me. Okay. That yeah. was church then. We we yeah. we've we've tested things with different things simulating human body parts. <laughs> so. it, it, it's always exciting at the wireless center. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to the butcher and be like, yeah, you don't want to know what this is for. It's weird. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Well, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much, guys. Thank, thanks, thanks for having us. And, you know, thank you. And, you know, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. And we were your guests, Jerry Hayes and Shruti Sora. And we were your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen, as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.